Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope that this message will both teach and encourage you. Here's today's message. All right. Thank you guys for your ministry during the offertory there. Took me right back into the 70s. And so, uh, so they, they, I'm glad that they think my music's cool. That's all I have to say. I'm glad they think my music is cool. And the Sanders brothers are joined by the Sanders mother. We have Sam with us this morning, and we're so glad to have her with us on celebrating this Mother's Day. And as we're focusing on this Mother's Day, what we're going to do is we're going to expand it at the same time. So as we prepare for this message, just by way of introduction, we're looking first and thanking God for mothers. Without them, we wouldn't be here, right? And at the same time, we're going to be focused upon women. That's helpful. And then I'm asking all the men to join in, to maybe stand back in the peanut gallery, look over their shoulders, open your ears and listen in, because I think that the Lord has a message for us, for and through these ladies that are in the room, and these ladies that are situated in history, as we look at warrior mom. When I was back in the 70s, before we moved into the 80s, we were at a uh, church in Albuquerque. There was a, a fellow in our youth group was quite the musician and songwriter. And he got up one Sunday night and performed a song. I think it was Mother's Day evening, back in the days when we had church at night, right, on Sunday. And he sang, My Mom's a Secret Agent for the Lord. <laughs> and it was a big hit. I'm surprised that Guys like Randy Stonehill or somebody didn't pick that up and just make it known nationally. And uh, uh, that's true. Our mom can be a secret agent for the Lord, and sometimes she's not so secret. She can be subtle, but not not always. Sometimes she needs to be right there with strength and in our face. And so we thank God for mom. And we're going to look now in the scriptures of Second Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 37, and we want to look at warrior mom. Now, if you'd like to look at that and say a warrior woman or a warrior for God, I'm just going to uh, invite you to expand that out because the whole idea is for this to be expanded out because it's going to have application to every one of us in this room this morning. Warrior mom, the woman from Shunem. But first, a word about women. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Later, it says he made Man in his image, male and female, he created them. And so there is an intention, a divine intention by God who transcends male and female to reflect his character and his nature very uniquely and powerfully in women as well as men. And so we get this idea that in Christ there's no separation, no difference, no sense of one higher than the other. In fact, men are consistently told in the New Testament because of the gospel of Jesus Christ to do things like submit unto one another. In Ephesians, we hear that. And Peter tells us, men, dwell with your wife as as a more precious vase and make sure that you treat her right so that your prayers not be hindered. And the whole idea that was brought to us by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of the word of God is not the idea of men oppressing, suppressing women. Women, hear me roar, 
turning and then turn oppressing and subjecting men, which I think we've seen that pendulum swing for several decades, but rather partners together in life and realizing the unique grace and gifts of God that is reflected and found in both male and female. And then it stands to reason that we will see that in the context of mom and dad. And this morning, we're going to be focusing upon the idea of a word for and about women and a word concerning women, and it's something that we all can hear. Now, a word about Elisha. The ladies I know are studying about Elijah, which means my God is Yahweh. But he had a disciple that took his place and worked powerfully, in fact, performed twice as many miracles precisely as recorded than Elijah. His name was Elisha or Elisha. And just a clue, anytime you hear a word that has the sha in it throughout the Old Testament, like Hosea and others, it is incorporating this idea, salvation. You're hearing about salvation, to be delivered, to be set free. And so Elisha simply means my God is salvation. Aren't you glad God is in the salvation business, in the rescuing business, in the stepping in and taking care of a situation and taking something that otherwise would be helpless and hopeless and stepping in with his grace at just the right time and to his honor and glory, accomplishing something powerful on behalf of people. Jesus name would be Yeshua. There's the sh sound again. Now, all mothers are experts at going, shh. But we have this unique opportunity. You have this unique opportunity, ladies, of reflecting this idea of the Lord is my salvation. And as you incorporate and respond to this idea of motherhood, that in the context of being mom, you have an opportunity of making this statement to your children, making this statement to people you mentor making this statement to grandchildren, making this statement to people that you adopt, making this statement to a room full of children that you teach, and it's this, God is my salvation. That they can look at you and sense, even if they can't put two and two together right at first, that there's something different going on here, and it's a word of salvation. And then finally, a word about Shunem. Now, this isn't the message, this is the introduction. Some of you are getting excited. Wow. He's already on his third point. And that's a word about Shunem. This little village located in north central Israel, or actually a little bit west, was out on the plain of Jezreel. And it had a reputation throughout history before Israel even settled the land. Its name appears throughout history, and it's variously spelled depending upon the root language that it existed in. And this is the, the historical observation about this village. It was known for being filled with stubborn people. Imagine that. Historically, it was seen as a stubborn place, a place that didn't give up quick. In fact, it persisted through several kingdoms and through several epics of history. And this village of Shunem is now situated in the inheritance of the tribe of Issachar, the blessing that is spoken over the tribe of Issachar and found in the book of Genesis, is he says that Issachar is a raw-boned donkey. Isn't that interesting? 
That's that picture. When we think of a donkey, what do we think of? Bearing a burden, bearing up under a burden, being persistent. But here's most of the thing that we think about. Stubborn. Everybody say stubborn. (laughs) So this stubborn village of Shunem, filled with stubborn people, recalcitrant people, we think of that, but it's people who bear up under difficulties and adversity. And just the idea that this woman is from Shunem, is this is a woman who is familiar with historic problems, with historic persistent dilemmas, and yet she is going to encounter somebody by the name of Elisha or Elisha. My God is a rescuer. My God is salvation. With that, then in the back of our minds, let's roll here into this fourth chapter of the book of Second Kings, chapter 4. This is 8 through 37. And what I want to do is I'm going to read a verse or two and then make some comment and go on. Uh, and, and you'll see this develop. We're just going to go verse by verse. And I think there's a very powerful message in here. As I was preparing just a couple weeks ago and turning my heart towards this Holy Spirit, what would you have me say? What, what can we do for Mother's Day? I've been here for 25 years as the pastor of Vision Church. That means 25 different Mother's Day sermons. I think there might have been one or two guests along the way. I remember Anush Bullock coming and speaking on a Mother's Day. But almost all the time, Pastor Doug has been standing in the pulpit when it came to Mother's Day. And so you've gotten things like roses, bottles of soda, uh, jewelry, all kinds of... Now, it wasn't real expensive, so don't don't get too excited. But I do want to let you know before I go any further that when you leave today, something that's open to all of the ladies, say all ladies, all the ladies as you leave, as we have several containers on the round table as you go out to your left as you walk out, and on that there's three nice plastic buckets with nice gift wrappings cascading or spilling out of them like a cornucopia of delight. And in those baskets, there's a little, nice little bag. And inside of that are some wonderful things that you'll enjoy, ladies. And we want to make sure everyone gets one. Now, after that happens, if we have some left over, you might say, well, you know, my mom's not here today. I want to be sure to get to that. There's other ladies who weren't able to be here today. They are elsewhere celebrating family things, and so we want to make sure that everyone in the congregation is served with that, and I think you'll enjoy it. So uh, there is, I do want to say this, there is one of those sleep aid masks that you put over your eyes. I'm only asking that they don't show up at church. That's all I'm asking. (laughs) But please get a better night's sleep at home uh, with those masks. One day, Elisha, my God is salvation, went to Shunem, the village filled with people who know adversity and are raw bone donkeys, perched down and scrouched down, crouched down, always bearing burdens. And a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. Isn't hospitality a powerful thing? So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. It wasn't all that common to have public restaurants where scores and throngs of people could go, but it was common to make connections with people in a village and for them to invite you in for hospitality. So it'd be very much like somebody comes through Fort Worth. They don't call you and say, 
hey, I'm in town. Will you meet me at Chili's? I would like to buy you lunch. They would say, hey, I'm in town. Could you set an extra place? I'll be over for lunch. And you would not be offended in the least. You would be offended if they hadn't asked you. And then they would they would have this open welcome to your home and they would come and put their feet under your table and you would share with one another. You would share food and you would share your hospitality any way that you could help them. This value of hospitality was so important in the land of Israel. And so whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. I want to speak to the ladies here first, but all of us are eavesdropping. We need to be willing to host the activity of God. If Elisha, the man of God, in those days, you were looking for the anointing, and the anointing in these days was so powerful, in those few and far between prophets, when they came by, they had a word for you from God, and very often there would be some sort of demonstration of the power, the grace of God, that would touch your life and change it forever. Why? Because when God comes by, he never leaves people empty. He always fills them up. When God comes by, he has a powerful thing that he wants to do in their life because he's wanting to reveal himself and make himself known. And so Elisha, my God is salvation, this prophet powerfully anointed after Elijah has ascended into heaven in a chariot of fire, he is now going about, and I want to tell you something, Elisha has a reputation because the God of Israel has a reputation. And Elisha is representing the God of Israel. So as he comes by, she sees him and now makes arrangements that any time he's in town that he comes by for a meal. We need to be willing, ladies, we need to be willing to host the activity of God. Be a hostess with the mostess. Facilitate that. Connect with that and say, I see that God is at work and I want to stand and support that. The Apostle Paul recounts in his letter, the book of Romans, he goes and he names off several key ladies. What are they known for? They're known for being the hostesses with the mostesses. <laughs> they are ladies who have recognized the move of the Holy Spirit, who have recognized the activity of God, and they have immediately signed up to host it to open their homes. Very often, these are people, just like the Shunammite lady, are people of means. Their husband is important in the city, and they have a nice, spacious home. So what do they do? They prepare their home, and they make a place so that the preaching of the gospel can happen. And why is this? Because of this partnership in the gospel by ladies who recognize God is at work, and when God is at work, I want to be right there, just like a Mary and a Martha. Amen? We need to be willing to host the activity of God. Recognize it when it's there and facilitate that and become a host. Verse 9 and 10, she said to her husband. Now, notice it didn't say she asked her husband. <laughs> she, is, she is the one that's in charge of the house. This is traditional. This is not a problem. And, and so as she is managing things, in fact, the book of Proverbs talks about the woman who manages things well. So she said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Just coming by and having a meal is not enough. Let's go to the next level. Amen. Let's make a small room on the roof 
and put in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. What does this tell us? Not only do we need to facilitate or become a host to the activity of God, we need to be willing to feature the activity of God and not merely dabble. There are too many people who are dabbling with relationship with God today. There are too many people who want to come and go from his presence or have special events at which they encounter his presence. But here is a woman who obstinately and strongly begins to hold on to some. How many of you know that being a little bit stubborn is not always negative? Here is a woman who has set herself and she has positioned herself and she has acclimated herself to this idea. I'm not just going to be the hostess with the mostess when the when the man of God comes to town, but let's build a room for him. Let's give him an apartment on top of the house with separate access so that whenever he's in town, he has a place. Now, how many of you know that's only going to increase the probability that Elisha is going to come by? Right? He's on his way from this place to this place. And who's on the way? The woman in Shunem and her husband. And now there's a place to stay. And so it creates this habit. It creates this circuit where the prophet, the man of God, knows that he has a place to come. And here is a woman who has established now with her house that it is going not to be the place that occasionally experiences the grace of God, but something that is going to feature the activity of God. Very often in people's lives, we find that in the spiritual movements, we find some key ladies who get a hold of that. And throughout the church, starting at the tomb, these are ladies who say, I'm not going to be on the fringe and I'm not simply going to dabble. I'm going to get right smack dab in the middle of this. I wonder how inspirational she was to Mary and Martha. I wonder how inspirational she was to the people in the New Testament church as it began, the gospel began to find fan out and find this kind of hospitality amongst Jewish women. I wonder how many of them said, I want to be just like that woman at Shunem. We need to not merely dabble, but feature it. So one day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. Now it says his room. How many of you like that? That ownership. She opened her home, gave him a place, and now it's referred to as Elisha's room. So one day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. And he said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Before who? Gehazi. And Elisha said to Gehazi, here's what he gave her. He gave Gehazi a message for this woman. Tell her, you've gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? How many of you like the sound of that? You have engaged. You have made a place for the presence of God. You have made a place for me, Elisha. My God is my salvation. Or is salvation and you've built a room for me now. You have placed and facil- you recognized and facilitated the grace of God. Now what can be done for you? Kind of reminds me when Jesus walked through a town and he would say, what would you have me do for you? 
You've made place for me. You've welcomed me. You have played host and hostess to me. Now, what can I do for you? Isn't that music to yours? To hear the Lord say, now, what may I do for you? Oh, Lord, I've got a list for you. How many of you have the list? Right. Now, what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? Is there something? I have influence. I have realms of influence that I move in, and I'm willing to put a good word in for you. How many of you like a good word with the, put in for you with the IRS? Good word in with the governor. Good word in with some people of importance. Can we speak on your behalf? She replied, listen to this. I have a home among my own people. What's she saying? She's stubbornly committed to humility and contentedness. The Apostle Paul says that godliness with contentment is great gain. This Shunammite woman is content with her situation. She, it's, it's great. Things are wonderful. I don't need anything more. I'm happy. I'm content. And she's stubbornly committed to humility and contentedness. How many of you know you need both of those together? You can be humble but not content. You can be, uh, you can be content but not necessarily humble. But when you put those two things together, here's what James tells us. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so what a great answer. Rather than say, oh, I'm glad you finally said something, because after all, I thought we're living in the world of I scratch your back, you scratch mine. And so what I've been doing is I've been blessing you, making a place for you, recognizing the grace on you. And I've been doing that, waiting for the day that you would say, now, what would I have to do for you? And I've got the list. Here's the list. <laughs> Front and back. I printed it out on my printer, conserved paper, and it's in 12-point font. And it's covered front and back. Here's what I would like to have. That's not her answer. Her answer is, I live among my people. I have a home among my own people. She is stubbornly committed to humility and contentedness. What can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Now, does that sound familiar? It almost sounds like Sarah. That very same statement could have been said about Sarah. Well, she is has no son and her husband is old. In other words, Gehazi saying, well, she's a well-to-do woman and they're taking care of us. Money is obviously not the prophet. Uh, uh, not the only thing here. What she what she's lacking is just watching, just looking. Is she has no son and her husband is old. What does this mean? Her husband's about to die, and if she doesn't have a male heir, she could lose everything. Talk about it's like somebody saying, "I've looked around and I asked. They don't have any insurance. What can we do?" Elijah says, "Look." She's stubbornly content with what she has, but surely there's a place somewhere where the grace of God, because my God that I serve, he's a rescuer. 
he he loves to give and he loves to do things in people's lives. And he says, well, she has no son and her husband is old. She is poised for bankruptcy. She's on the verge of losing it all because if there's no son and the husband dies, this will pass to somebody else or back into the community, but it will not support her. And so, how many of you know God that knows your circumstances? Her hope is not rooted in her circumstances. She is not focused because this has to be one of the most important things that would realistically be in her life. This should be what she says to Elijah. My husband's old. He's not going to be around much longer. And I don't have a male heir. I don't know what's going to happen to me. What does she do? She lives in that moment for for God and for Elijah, Elisha and recognizes the grace of God and she is content. She is committed, stubbornly committed to contentedness. She is a warrior. She is fighting for contentedness. She is fighting for humility in the midst of her circumstances. After all, she's a well-to-do woman. She could be walking around with a chip on her shoulder, but she says, I have a home among my people. Her hope is not rooted in her circumstances. Now, how many of you know there's some warrior moms out there that are dealing with circumstances that are pretty tough? I'm looking at some warrior moms in here who have walked through some tough circumstances. I'm looking at some warrior women in this room who have walked through some adversities and things. And they're, and here's the thing you're battling for, to stay humble and to find a contentedness in your circumstances where your circumstances do not control your joy and your hope, but instead you begin to happen to life rather than life happening to you. Then Elisha said, call her. <laughs> oh, now we know where the grace of God is needed. Call her. So he called her. And she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. Does that sound familiar? There was an angel of the Lord that appeared at the tent of Abram back in the book of Genesis, uh, long before this time. This is way back in the back of their minds. This is the history that's, that's setting there as a foundation for their lives. And this sounds, this rings just like what that angel of the Lord said to Sarah as she was in the tent preparing food. He said, tell Sarah, this time next year I'll come back by and she will have had a son. And what does Sarah do in the tent? <laughs> now, Sarah thought some things in her heart. And the angel said, you laughed. And she said, oh, no, I didn't. Oh, yes, you did. And she names that son Isaac, which means son of laughter. Not only is it a laughter of joy that a woman in her old age that was unable to have children for two reasons. She had never been able to have children, and she was beyond the age of childbearing, was visited by the grace of God. Her name was changed to Sarah or Sarah, and Abram's name was changed to Abraham. And here she has this tangible miracle in her arms, Sarah did. And here is a woman that is hearing the same story about to be played out in her life. Some of us look at the stories of the Bible and we leave them as stories. And we say that could happen to them then and there. But we need to ha have an attitude. Warrior mom, 
warrior women who see those promises and say, obstinately, I'm going to cling to hope and confidence in the Lord because my God is salvation and he is able to do above and beyond all I can ask or think. And he shall provide my need according to his riches in glory. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap this morning. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. What is this warrior woman struggling with? What is she battling? The sense that she's given up hope because her husband is old. Right? This is a fairy tale. This doesn't fit the math. This doesn't fit into the human equation. Please don't mislead your servant. She knows the wisdom of Solomon who had said, guard your heart for out of it issues all of life. Be careful what you hope in. Be be careful where you lean. Be careful where you place your confidence. And this sounded almost like a cruel joke that here she is with an older husband on the verge of losing it all. And Elisha says, this time next year, you'll be holding a son. How many of you know that's real specific? A son. She is confronted with the promise and grace of God. I use that word confronted on purpose. Because many times when somebody hears the gospel, when they hear the, the, the possibilities of the promise of God that can become real in somebody's life, his great salvation, his great deliverance, his great grace made manifest, many times when we have been in a battle, when we're bearing the scars, ladies, it's hard at times to trust God again. It's hard to believe God for something. It's hard to move into that mode. And you feel very much like that lady at Shunem who said, don't mess with me. (laughs) Don't get my hopes up. I've already become content with not having this happen and wondering what my next chapter is going to be and face the future with some positivity. And now you've just disrupted that. How many of you know the promise of God can be disruptive? It comes in and it counters the logic of the day and the norm of the culture. And he comes with a word out of the darkness into the light, a powerful word that just does something. It disrupts your life. Don't you know Mary's life was disrupted with a similar word? How's this going to be? I don't even have a man. I don't know a man. I've never been with a man. Well, we're going to do one better than Sarah. We're going to do this totally supernatural. And how many of you know that nothing is impossible with God? Do we really believe that? Nothing is impossible with God. So she is confronted with the promise and grace of God. It's almost a rude visitor. It's almost totally disrupting her life because she's gotten used to the way things are probably are going to play out. I wonder if maybe there was a little bit of cynicism in there. And there's nothing like the wind of the Holy Spirit and the promise of God to blow out some cynicism posing as religion and replace it with a fresh expectation and a burning down in our spirit. God has said a thing and he can do the thing that he says. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. But the woman, but the woman became pregnant. (laughs) 
Now, I'm just, we're all adults here, but I'm just going to leave it at this. There was a man that we don't know his name who was involved. What does this mean? That the miracle God promised not only touched her life, but maybe especially touched that man's life. Aren't you glad that God can do miraculous things in other people's lives that are in your circumstances in order to turn them around? That he can take even ungodly people and give you favor with them. He can put something in somebody's heart and they'll do something and they'll even say this. I don't know why I'm doing this. <laughs> What's happening? My God is salvation and he is moving in my circumstance and in my situation. And I just want to encourage you, encourage you, warrior women. I want to encourage you, warriors of Christ. I want to encourage you, warrior, warrior moms, not warriors, warriors. That there are things you're praying over. There are kids you're praying over. There are circumstances you're praying over. Grandchildren you're praying over. And you are contending and you are battling and you are fighting in prayer. And I want to encourage you to hang in there because you've gotten a promise from God. And the battle needs to be entered into so that we can see that hope become faith, become sight. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. Just want to encourage you. But the woman became pregnant. Don't you know you can't stop the word of God? And the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son. Wow, if it had been a girl, that would have really been a mess, wouldn't it? She not only got pregnant, but she gave birth to a son. That just added the multiplicity against the odds of it happening. This was not a happenstance. This was a miracle. God, who is deliverance and salvation, had extended his hand and had reached out in favor to this woman because his servant, Elisha, said, what can we do for you? You've given place to God. God wants to do something for you. Hope becomes confidence and then becomes a physical reality. That's why she says, don't mess with me, man of God. You're going to get my hopes up. But let me tell you something. Hopes need to rise so that confidence can take root and establish you in relationship to the past, the present and the future and connect to the grace of God and bring the reality of his promise into flesh, into physical realm. It's not just out there, up there somewhere, but it is here and he needs it and wants it to be now his grace become a physical reality. Amen. Now, the child grew, and one day he went out to his father who was with the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. And after the servant, how many of you know mom knows what to do? And in that day, mom was the physician. She was the counselor. She was. She diagnosed all the illnesses. She really looked over the family. She fought for the health of the family, the well-being of the family, as the man was engaged in wars, away from the house, as he was doing things that would provide for their future and their provision. She was deeply engaged with the household, with the household servants, with, with their families, and she was connected, and she was important and in the center of their world. Carry him to his mother. After all, mom has the connection with Elisha, and Elisha represents the grace of God in our day. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. Now, can you imagine what's going through the mind of that mother? She had been 
married but no children. And now God has messed up her life with a promise and a sense of hope. And then she has given birth to a miraculous son and she's sitting there trying to do the math. I had a son, a miracle answer, and now he's gone. What could arguably be her hope? That now I have an heir. He's going to grow up. He's going to learn the job. His father's going to pass away. And then he's going to take over as head of the household. And I'm going to be provided for the rest of my days. But here, that hope, And that confidence and that sense of the future was dashed to the ground. Let me just say, life doesn't fight fair. Hello? (laughs) Life has a way of throwing curveballs at you. Remember, not only is the grace of God at work, but there is an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. We're talking about warrior moms because they need to understand something. They're in the middle of an unrelenting spiritual warfare. And he has called spiritual women, spiritual moms, spiritual dads, spiritual people to realize something. We are in an unrelenting war and we need to stand in the middle of that with our hope and our confidence in God and connected to his great salvation. God is not finished with this circumstance yet. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. But it's real. And if I'm her, I can I I can identify with her somewhat of seeing something that was a great hope, something that a box checked and a piece suddenly dissipate with the last breath of that boy. She felt life leave him just as surely as she felt life begin in her womb one day and said, could it be? I got up this morning. I was awful sick. I couldn't keep anything on my stomach. You know what? I feel a little bit bloated. What's going on here? And then as life progressed, she could feel the flutter. She could feel the organs begin to be displaced. And she this became so tangible and real to her. She carried him through to term. And now she feels that life which has been given her ebbing away and it ends. Now watch what she does. I'm going to promise you something. Every one of us can identify here. We're going to receive promises from God. Promises from God need to be maintained with the same faith and faithfulness as they were received with in the first place. Now, watch what she does, this obstinate, stubborn woman. And this is good. This is great. We all can learn from this. Every man in this room can learn from this. And then you can go home and say, Pastor said I should be stubborn just like the woman at Shunem. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. What's she doing? She's remembering something. She's made a connection to someone. And what's his name? Elisha. My God is salvation. She takes him up to the bed of the man of God. This is the room she had gone to and gotten the promise. This is the room she had gone to and heard of God's great provision. And now she goes back to that room of promise. And now know what I would do and what you would do. You would never go to that room again. You would never darken that door of that place. And here's what people often do. They, they hit the skids. Something happens. Something goes wrong. And, and they feel like God has failed them. And somehow they've been made a fool of. And here's what they do. They immediately vacate the church. They don't go and darken. This is what we say. He's never darkened the door of the church again. 
She has never gotten back into the church again since that happened. Why? Because that represents a place of a promise given, but it also represents the fact, I feel like I've been forsaken. I feel like I've been let down. We need to press past that. We need to be a warrior. This is a warfare we're involved in. Life doesn't fight fair. And let me tell you something. The enemy of your soul does not fight fair. He will try to swoop in and do something to throw the curveball to, to in, imply that God has failed. But here's what she does. She shuts the door and went out and she called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Now, it doesn't read so I can go and give him a piece of my mind. So I can go and chew him out. So I can go and put a bony finger in his face and say, you lied to me. You didn't tell me anything about this. No, no. Watch, watch what she does. Don't you know that the Apostle Paul said these people are written about and talked about so that they can be examples for us upon whom the end of the age is determined. That we can look at what happened in their life with the grace of God and say, if God did it then and there, he can do it here and now. If God could do it with an obstinate woman of Shunem, he can do it with an obstinate guy or girl in Fort Worth, in Lake Worth, in Sansom Park, in River Oaks, that somebody that just sets their eye to the Lord, sets their heart to the Lord, he can do it for me just like he did it for them. Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. She doesn't say, I'm leaving you, I'm out of here. I'm giving up on life. I'm going to go to him quickly and return. When it breaks the wrong way, how many of you know it will? <laughs> I know that's just so motivational. Oh, praise God. We went to church on Mother's Day and pastor threw me into the slough of despair. When it breaks the wrong way, it will. Now, Pastor Steve and I, I think, are the most optimistic golfers that are on God's green earth. I think we are, Steve. We go out to that fresh set of 18 holes with great expectations. Here, here's what I expect. Here's what I'm looking for. This could be the day I break par. Now, I average 82 to 87, but this could be the day I'm forever the optimist. And Pastor Steve doesn't go and say, you know, if I can just hit 90, I'll be fine. He, he's wanting to go to par and under. He's there. We're, we're ambitious. And I don't know how many times we've walked off that course and we didn't go below par. He gets really close. I don't. And he still invites me to go with him. I don't understand it. But we want to bail out and quit and and we have to deal with something. We even have to deal with it on the golf course. We get strange bounces. You hit a perfect shot to the green, and it hits a sprinkler head and bounces 40 yards away. It hits the pole. It hits by the hole, bounces up, hits the stick, rolls off, and falls in the bunker. What's with this? Now, what are you going to do? Take your clubs, put them in the cart, and go off? No. You finish the hole. You play through the pain. And you keep after it. Now, golf is nothing like the travails that this woman is dealing with. But in some ways, it is. It can be deeply affecting. When it breaks the wrong way, here's what you do. Get as close to God as possible. But let me tell you what your natural tendency will be. When it breaks the wrong way, and it will, 
you tend to see if you can put some distance between you and God. Because somehow he's failed. Somehow his promises haven't come through for you. But that's not what this woman does. She puts the boy's body on the man of God's bed. She says, I'm going to put it as close to Elisha until I can get Elisha here as I can. And she puts him on the man of God's bed. He, she violates the sanctity of his private chambers and puts that boy on his bed and goes quickly. Why go to him today, he asked. <clears throat> now, how many of you know those people are going to give you some excuses if you don't have enough yourself? It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. Everything's okay. Nobody panic. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on. Don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. Oh, about 15 miles away up in the mountain. We need to push past objections, challenges, and concerns by people who don't get it. Hello? How many of you know everybody doesn't get it? They're trying to help. The husband's trying to help. He's a fixer. He's going to analyze and fix this situation. Well, it's not new moon or Sabbath. So why would you go bother the man of God? He does his thing on new moon or Sabbath. That's what he does. That's when he comes by. Now, why would you do this? She doesn't tell him what's happened. She doesn't want anything to miss up or mix up what's going on. She just keeps that pristine and pure. She has put his body on the bed and she has gone on a journey because she has got to get with Elisha. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And when he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right. Don't you know Elisha's got a great connection with this lady? He cares about her. We need to realize something. God, God loves me and he cares about me. The first thing we jettison is that God loves me and cares about me when things turn out wrong. Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. Doesn't that sound like a lie? What is she doing? What is she doing? Because she has come to the man whose name is God is my salvation. What does she know? I'm at the right place. I'm in the right circumstance. I'm in the right vicinity. I'm at the right address. I'm at the place where grace from heaven touches the earth and things which are impossible become possible and things which are invisible become visible. And here's what she's saying. I've got a feeling everything's going to be all right. I've got a feeling. I know that if I could just connect with Elisha, my God is salvation, then it's going to happen. Here's what we need to do. Save the truth for someone who can handle it but find that one. There's some people who are wanting to know what's, what's going on, and we probably don't need to share with them. They're only going to get in our way between us and God. But find that person with the faithful spirit that you can trust 
and unload on them. Share your heart with them. Unburden your heart with them. Because here's somebody you know will say, let me pray with you. My God is greater. My God is more majestic. My God is able. And I'm going to believe with you. And I'm going to stand with you. She goes to Elisha. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. She And Gehazi came over to push her away. Wow. Is Gehazi not understanding what's going on? Not at all. Leave her alone. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I? And then here's what she says. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said, didn't I tell you? Don't raise my hopes. Isn't that an honest confession? You went and messed with me. I didn't ask for anything. I told you I was content and you brought a grace into my life that now has created this kind of pain. Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes. Guarding your heart, according to Proverbs, does not mean giving up hope. God's not asking you to give up hope. He's asking you to guard your heart. Be careful who you hope in. Be careful who you share that hope with. And be careful how you go about it. But we've got to have hope. There abides these three. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. What does hope do? Hope gives us a sense that's positively towards the future. Faith gives us the outline and the realities of how that could possibly be. And then love is my God loves me and he loves me so much He knows how to handle me. About to wrap this up, Elijah said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand and run. Maybe you know God runs to you. Don't greet anyone you meet. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. That sounds rude. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. What's she saying? You can send Gehazi and lay the staff on thingy on him, but I'm not going to be happy until you, Elisha, come from Mount Carmel and come to my house because I have somebody waiting for you. So Elisha got up and followed her. (laughs) Isn't that powerful? What draws Elisha to the Shunammite's home over that distance? It's much easier and more convenient to send Gehazi. But she says, I'm not going to leave you. You have yourself. You have got to come. I've got to have a miracle. I don't trust Gehazi. I don't trust your staff. I don't trust anything else. I've got to have a miracle. That's where her faith was. How many of you know your faith isn't always in a perfect place? But man, if you can have your faith in a place, in a direction, It's amazing what God can do in response to your faith. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives, you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. And Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. Can you just imagine as they're on the journey, Elisha and the woman, he's following her. And Gehazi comes past her, looks at her face, looks at the ground, comes back to Elisha and simply says, it didn't happen. I mean, our hopes were there, our confidence was there, but it didn't happen. Confidence will be tested for everybody involved. 
When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. And as he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. God has a great deliverance for our circumstance. But it's going to be requiring an eye-to-eye, nose-to-nose, mouth-to-mouth, hand-to-hand, complete identification. Aren't you glad that Jesus came in our shoes? And he made a complete and utter identification with us. It doesn't get any closer than behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and he who became flesh and dwelt amongst us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. A complete identity of God's salvation with this boy. Eye to eye, nose to nose, mouth to mouth, hand to hand, foot to foot, laid across him and then he got up and he went about and prayed. And then it says this, the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) The boy sneezed how many times? Seven times. That number of completion. That number of completion. That number of seven, the sevenfold spirit, the life of God, everything that God has for you, that fullness. There had been a demonstration of the fullness of God in that upper chamber. And Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And he did. Now, can you imagine how she walked up those stairs? I may be coming to take my body, the body of my boy and wash him and pay attention to him for the last time and then inter him in the family sepulcher. Take your son. She came in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. Give the Lord a hand clap. That's not just a nifty story. That's a miracle. That's a visitation of God's grace. Even when life has thrown you the curve, he alone knows how to restore and make things new. And he has taken a boy that's laid on a couch dead for hours and hours, possibly a day and a half. And he has identified with him and brought grace into his life. My God is salvation. My God is deliverance. Gratitude and worship is the only fitting response to the grace of God. (laughs) For every warrior mom in here, you're dealing with some situations with your life with your finances, with where, how you are, your children, your children's children, and you have promises of God that are burning in your heart, and you know what it's like to feel like you've been baited and switched and like your hope has gone out the window. And I just want to encourage you, warrior moms, we need you. They need you to engage and stand there between them and the God of their salvation, making the connection and linking them together. Ladies, You're called to be a warrior and stand in the circumstances and situation in your life. Somebody who obstinately and stubbornly holds on to hope and confidence in God and represents some things and aspects of God that just become so easily apparent in you and it's tougher to see in a man. And God has called you to reflect his glory to people who are lost and struggling and he needs some warrior ladies. 
And he needs some warrior men who will go and hear and learn from that stubborn Shunammite woman that I'm going to stand here and I'm going to see the salvation of God in my house. I am going to see his deliverance. I am going to see the miraculous. And there's only one answer, and that is that Elisha comes to my house, that God is my salvation, comes to my house. And I'm not going to stand for anything less than that. What a picture of intercessory prayer. And then we're going to see an opportunity to give him thanks and bow before him at his feet and say, Lord, thank you. I didn't know how you were going to do it. I didn't know what to expect when I came back to the room. But that which I thought was lost and gone forever, you have restored, you have changed, you have transformed by your glory and your grace. And I give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Would you give the Lord a hand clap this morning? And now as we stand to our feet, I just want to pray a special prayer over the moms in the room and the ladies in the room. This is a great day to celebrate ladies and moms, isn't it? And establish that. There's just something different about them, and God has made them that way. Right, men? And it's something to be celebrated. Not, oh, boy, is she different. No, she's different than I am. And God has revealed himself in a powerful way. And let's pray a blessing over them. And then when we close with a word of blessing, if you is there something in your heart that you just need to set right with him? These altars are open. I'm up here, and I'll certainly be willing to pray with you. And I want to let you know, ladies, as you leave, all ladies, in those three bins, there's a gift for you from Vision Church. We just want to bless you on this special day. We want to bless you because you're a woman. We want to bless you because God's grace is special in your life. And you have a battlefield that you're fighting on. And you need an encouragement. We pray that be an encouragement to you. So, Lord, we open our hearts and our lives to you this morning. And we thank you for warrior moms that are represented in this room. They've become warrior grandmas. They have become adoptive warrior moms and grandmas. There's somebody that they've taken under their wing, somebody that you put in their heart, somebody they're teaching in a class, somebody, and they're, they just have that matronly connection, that, that connection, Lord, that you give them in their heart. And I'm praying over the hope of their heart that their hope would not be deferred, making them heart sick, but it be well invested in you, Lord, that there would be a new stubbornness that would come into their life, that they would not give up on the promises and hopes of God's word and what he has spoken into their heart about children and grandchildren. But Lord, that you would refresh those and renew them. Holy Spirit, that you would breathe across that and bring that to a fresh new life. We pray for warrior moms and warrior women. Lord, we ask for a fresh flow of your grace, a wind of your Holy Spirit, a strength that would just touch their lives, bringing a refreshment, but helping them to hope more to trust and have confidence more, and to see, to be committed to see the grace of God made real in their life and on behalf of the lives of others. Lord, we ask that. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Lord bless you as you have a great week. And once again, if there's a place of prayer you'd like to seek, I'm certainly up here to pray with you. The Lord bless you as you go.